Hello, this is Deacon Omar Gutierrez in the Archdiocese of Omaha and a board member of Discerning Hearts, and I just wanted to provide a short introduction to what you are about to hear. I met Maddie Miller through her brother Bob many years ago and spoke to her then and since about her conversion and about her spiritual life. I found in her a remarkable soul whose interior desire for truth and for the Lord had given her not just a yearning for the spiritual life, but true and authentic insight and intensity. In the fall of 2020, Bob had contacted me about interviewing Maddie again to get her story. What you are about to hear is that interview, which we did in Bob's dining room, and I hope that you are as edified with it as I have been. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hi, Maddie. It's good to be with you. We were meeting because we want to tell a story, and uh, the story of your conversion. In a sense, I guess we're kind of telling the story of your rebirth, your, your new life. And, uh, and so I'm honored to be here with you. And I'm just going to start first with uh, where, where would you like to start about your conversion and, and how that came about? I was confirmed when I was 55 years old. <laughs> That's a good place to start. <laughs> so that anything before that was an intense search. And I, I knew as a young girl, I was raised in an evangelical home. And so much of what was taught to me, I had this sense, was it just wasn't right. It didn't make sense. And it left out pieces. I knew as a young girl that there was more to God than this book that was two, two and a half inches wide. I would ask questions like, well, how was the Bible made? No one knew. When I found out that there wasn't even a Bible like what I had grown up with or even anything similar for 300 years after Christ ascended, I wanted everybody to know because that was all they were concerned about was what was in the Bible. So then I understood why I, at one point in my life, was so drawn to the Jewish faith and to the Native American faith, because in my heart I knew the benefit of tradition. I knew it. Like, it, like deep down in my soul, I knew that we humans needed ritual. So we know each other, thanks to your brother Bob. Uh -huh. Tell me about his role in bringing you into the church. First off, I could live for another 50 years, and I could never repay him. The hours, because I'm a questions girl, and any time I had a question, he would pick up that phone no matter what he was doing. There would be times he'd talk to me for an hour. I knew it was at work. But see, through that RCA and that conversion period of mine, I was in total distress. So I think he, he knew he was, in, he was saving my life because he had seen what had happened to me. So he knew the pain and suffering I had gone through not having the safety net of theology. And I believe that 
in some ways, he, he must have been able to relate to that. His conversion was, you know, just, I think, four years prior to mine. So, so there was enough there and new, fresh for him. And he's a learner. And he was, I think he loved sharing it with me as well. So, and then to have it be my baby brother, you know, how awesome is that to, um, to unify your family in the faith? Through everything my brother has selfishly given up of his time to teach me, everybody needs that one someone who will throw themselves into your faith. Without it, I don't think it's possible to maybe grow to the extent that I know that I've grown if I would have just been left to my own resources after RCIA. Uh, I know that I would have grown because my desire was to grow. But when someone takes a personal vested interest in your faith, like my brother has for me, then you grow exponentially. And um, you were confirmed, you're in the church. Yeah. Um, what's it meant for your own family? Well, I took on the name St. Monica as oh. my patron saint. And um, so I started praying for my family, Just very small. I have one only child son, as you know, mm-hmm. and then his wife, Janie, and my two grandchildren. And glory be to God, they were all baptized, all four of them together, a year ago, this Easter vigil, and um, were brought into the Catholic Church. And then my son took on Augustine. And so that has been very meaningful for me. And... So much has gone into that. Yeah. We've talked before, and it was something you've, you've said in the past that's always stuck with me, and that is that you, you kind of see yourself kind of attracted to the mystical. Is that fair to say? Oh, very, yes. Yeah. So how does this, this deep knowing in your heart about the importance of tradition, which most people sort of associate with, like, rules, how does that fit with the kind of free-spirited, <laughs> mystic, artistic Maddie? Well, what is so fantastic is that if you don't have the rules, per se, you're not safe, okay? So I think I was, my brother referred to it, I, in a way that felt perfect to me, he said, you are now a tamed mystic. That moved me so deeply. But the two must go hand in hand. Mm. You have to be grounded in the theology, in right thinking, in having your conscience formed properly. That can only be done through the church. 
once that happens, once your theology is in place, then I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that when, through prayer, when I heard God say to me, sell your home, and it's so fatherly, it's, he's always so gentle, it's never demanding, then I, I knew I could trust that. Where before, when I thought that I heard God speak to me or the Holy Spirit lay something on my heart, I was doubtful. And it's no wonder because I didn't have any theology to, <laughs> to back up certain aspects of that. That's, that's beautiful because what, it sounds like what you're saying is that the, the, the safeness that the theology gives you. Oh, it, it's fabulous. Opens your heart to receive what the Spirit really wants to give. Absolutely. And I also can discern which is false, which is not of God. And that's where I got messed up before because there are other spirits that want to tell you things. So... With the theology in place, I knew which was from God. I was safe. I was so secure. It reduced my level of fear by about 90%. Because, see, a mystic without theology is fearful. So we're um, here and we're um, chatting in part because Bob brought us together yeah um and uh you got some news recently um mm -hmm. and want to sort of tell us what the news was and how you responded and, and how the lord has guided you through when i received the diagnosis on um the very first part of the diagnosis took place on september 28th everything leading up to that point to the selling of my home in on July 1st when God told me I needed to sell my home at the end of March. That was the last thing I had ever wanted to hear from God. I love my salon. It included my, you know, my home and my salon. Um, so I really, I stamped my feet over that by far more than I did over my diagnosis. But I think because of what I saw lead up to that diagnosis work, not only did my home sell on Pentecost Sunday, after I had spread holy water all over <laughs> the entire yard, the entire home, I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. And it sold that day. But the people that came along the way, my clients who supported me all through my two months of being unemployed was an absolute perfect display of what I had learned about Catholic community. And many of these people weren't Catholics, but they behaved in the exact manner of what gravitated me to Catholicism too in the community of coming together and aiding each other, and it was unbelievable. And after I sold my home, my children asked me to move in with them um, due to COVID. They were concerned with it. And um, 
And then I began, I've always worked, so I, I just would visit some of my clients in my home, and I had the most difficult time thinking about where I would work, because the only place that I wanted to work was around a church. And that seemed pretty impossible, right? I mean, I have no training, I have no any of that, and so we were, people were directing me to these websites and these, and I one day I called Bob and I said, that's it, man. I'm not doing it. I am not going out into the world and I'm not working like that. I can't. I don't believe every, I don't believe that's what God wants of me. So I said, I'm going to take the money from the house and I'm going to drive around and whenever a priest needs help, I'm going to help him. Whether I clean for him, do whatever. And, and Bob said, now, hold on a minute. <clears throat> as Bob graciously does with me in a lot of things. And he got on the Archdiocese website because I was ready to go speak to the Archbishop because I wanted a blessing <laughs> from him that I could go and help these priests. And that's when Bob kind of reined me in a little bit and said, I think there's some different steps you have to take for this. And so as he was listening to me rant and rave a little bit, he he pulled up the job site on the Archdiocese website. And right there had just been posted a job at St. Vincent de Paul. And I called the man, his name is Tom Peel, spoke to him on the phone, went in, we interviewed for about an hour, and I got the job with benefits exactly where I wanted to be working in God's house being surrounded by God's people. Because even in my salon, I had um, pictures of Mother Mary and my crucifix and things. So it was about as close to any secular... I mean, if you have a secular job, but I had the freedom to bring in my, my Catholicism, what meant to me, what was so important to me. So... But the one thing that I didn't have in the salon was I had no benefits and I had no insurance. And up until that point, it had not been an issue. So as I'm telling the story, that the timeline of what God did for me to bring me to this point was that 28 days after I was on the insurance was when I thought I was having a heart attack. It was on September 28th, Monday morning. And when I was working at St. Vincent de Paul, my job kept me pretty isolated about 95% of the time I was working, which was kind of right up my alley. I could listen to Bishop Barron videos and do all that sort of thing while I worked. And But that morning, um, my boss, Tom Peel, happened to be working on a project with me. And he saw me go, Why? I said, Tom, I think I'm having a heart attack. And then the next thing, I'm in care. And then the next thing is they're taking all my stats and and I was well at that point too I was in horrific pain. And I get there and they don't think anything's wrong with me. All my stats are great, my blood pressure is great, my breathing is great. And I said, I know there is something wrong with me. She said, All we can do is take a chest x ray. I said, Well then take a chest x ray. And within 40 minutes, they came back and showed a mass on my right lung that covered 
the span of three of my ribs. So I have two wonderful friends in the medical field. And uh, one is Dawn Omen, and she is the uh, doctor at the VA. So I spoke to her immediately. I shouldn't say immediately because what I first did was drive to St. Francis Cabrini and get down on my knees and pray. (laughs) So, uh, but when I spoke about that, um, she told me I needed to get into the emergency room immediately and have more things looked at. And that's when, through that process and then another procedure, found that I um, had some spots on my liver and I had told the doctor that I believed it was also in my brain. I asked for a CAT scan. And he said, you're passing all the neurological tests. It, you, I just can't imagine that you have a tumor in your brain. I said, I know it's there. And lo and behold, it was there. Mm. And it's inoperable. Um, it's way down in my thalamus. And so just recently, actually my... Last radiation treatment was two weeks ago today. And by God's grace, I have not had any of the side effects because I could almost hardly go through the radiation with the list I had to sign of what could possibly happen to me. But if I hadn't had that done, the prognosis was two weeks to two months to live. So here I am. Here I am. And we'll continue to see if Things progress, but I think I mentioned to you that even if they do, they've given me a prognosis of six months, even if the brain is stabilized. But I knew, I told them I knew that it was there. So, so I, I feel like I've been, giving, been given some divine direction to, into helping um, lead the doctors. I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I just think it's been a gift from God. I mean, I know it's absolutely been a gift from God because I have no medical prior history, but yet I I absolutely knew there was something wrong with me. Um, And I don't want to wander around that topic too much, but I'm going to get to see Jesus. And the saints, I can't wait. Truly, truly, I truly, I can't wait. St. Monica said in the confessions to St. Augustine, as he's relaying the story, that she told him after he, I wasn't sure if it was after he was a bishop or after he was confirmed, that her work was done. And shortly after that, she died. And I was reading that, and I thought, oh, my gracious, isn't that something? But I also believe that my lack of fear of death, because of what I know about from being Catholic, is why I have no fear of death. I can I can sometimes cry. That's because I'll miss my friends. 
and I'll miss, you know, seeing my grandchildren marry. But other than that, I'll just have more time to pray for them. <laughs> and I, like I told my granddaughter one day, because she took St. Lucy as her patron saint, I said, St. Lucy is going to be right over there, and I'm going to be right over there. I will be closer to you because I'll be in heaven than I am now. You know, it strikes me as we sit here in the midst of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned fear a couple of times in our conversation, and fear is all over our culture. Uh, in our families and uh, on television and uh, everywhere. Um, and it also strikes me that you, you bring up St. Monica, who's so beautiful, and she says, my work is done, and she passes. What, what do you think your work is? And you've kind of touched on it already, but what, what is your work? Well, I think through my conversion, as so many people saw me, struggle with or dibble-dabble in this or that, that my work has been showing people about Catholicism. It's practically all I ever want to talk about. (laughs) They love me enough that they will allow me to do that most times. That's, That's part of why I miss the salon so much at those conversations we've had. It's a little bit of a Dorothy Day thing. You know, I really, she was a part of my coming into the faith because in lots of ways, I mean, she was an unconventional, borderline weirdo. (laughs) I mean, her family life was kind of a mess. Even with her, her daughter, for years, things were a mess. For sure, absolutely. And, but yet she made such an impact on so many people's lives. And I've grown through that in acceptance of lots of different, different people. I, I don't know, maybe it's just to love them. Right in the midst of their weirdo, messed up lives and diagnoses and everything that can go wrong. I think it's where I say God can make it right. And it's not because God doesn't love you, which so many people out there believe that, myself included, basically. And when I was growing up, that was the message, Mm. that if anything went wrong in your life, you had sinned, you had done something wrong, and you were being punished in some way. You know, sometimes... There are more conversions through a death than there are through a life. And I think it's a grace because I don't think this is normal to feel this way. I have had so many people, even Catholics, say to me, I have never met anyone that is so okay with going to heaven. And if I'm able to show anyone a process of dying that is beautiful and I pray to God graceful and maybe others won't be so fearful of it. 
And wouldn't that be something? To just save one person from being fear-ridden of what might happen to them if they die. Knowing the truth about Christ's love for them. Because one of my favorite quotes, and this probably ties into this, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I have been all things unholy. If God can work through me, he can work through anyone. Because most of my friends have been friends for 30 years. So they have seen me. <laughs> they have seen my life prior to Catholicism, and they have seen my life through my journey of Catholicism, and the two are polar different. <clears throat> so if one person can come out and say, through my death, that really is the real deal. If she can have that kind of faith in the moment of receiving a diagnosis that would shake most people's world and crumble to a shred of, there's something to what she knows. So my wish is that somehow everyone who's going through any amount of suffering or pain could know the peace that um, not only Jesus brings, but the Catholic Church, the sacraments, the sacramentals, the saints. I have been so inspired, um, drawn to peace, drawn to the knowledge of who God really is through the church. And as I look back over the last five years, I think that God has had me in training for this very moment, which is within the prognosis of six months, my death. And isn't that beautiful? I can't even imagine living without that gift. Yeah, I, I just think um, the example you have I should say, I think the example you give is an example of hope. The example you give through your life, the sufferings you've had before, and the ability to find peace afterwards. But also, especially as you said a couple of times, with fear and pain and loss, uh, the ability to bear that with grace because of your sure knowledge of who Jesus is. And most of that came through my study of the saints because many of them had very difficult lives. Difficult. Like what I'm going through right now is a piece of cake compared to, to many of them. Um, St. Faustina wrote, Suffering is the greatest treasure on earth. It purifies the soul. In suffering, we learn who our true friend is. And we know she was talking about Jesus. But on even an earthly scale, you learn who your true friends on earth are. The message of suffering, the beauty of suffering, the blessing of suffering, 
And then within Catholicism, like Father Patrick told me the other day when I went to confession and spoke to him about everything that was going on. And he said, you're going to suffer more than you've, you know, I mean, he was being gentle with me, but I love honest men. <laughs> and he said, and as a Catholic, you have the opportunity to use that suffering for God's glory. That is such a powerful teaching. I had heard it before, and all I said to him was, Oh, Father, please don't let me forget when I'm in the middle of it. Please be there to remind me that I can offer up this suffering for a deeper conversion from some of the people I know, for a conversion to some people who have no faith to bring them into the church. If I die, and through this process of death, and through my oh-so-cool funeral, <laughs> Bob's going to throw the most awesome wake party anybody's ever seen. And then Father Patrick's doing the rosary. And I've asked him to do the John Ricardo-style rosary with the uh, mini homily in between. Oh, I love that so much. If one person becomes Catholic because of my death, and five people that I have given rosary beads to will actually pray the rosary, I will be so grateful I died. Maddie, it's been an honor to be with you, to get to know you, to learn from you. And I hope uh, through this we can make your wish come true. Oh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, Son and of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Madeline Maddie Miller went to her Lord on Sunday, March 21st, 2021. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon her, so that she may rest, finally, in peace.